0: And you're listening.
1: And you're, you're listening. are
0: listening. listening to
1: Salmon. 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 Salmon.
2: To Salmon Fest. Radio. You're listening to Salmon Fest Radio. We're your hosts, Dave Applin.
3: And Satchel Pondolfino. At Salmon Fest Radio, we record here in the Cook and Lick Keeper offices in Homer, Alaska. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional people that have lived and still live on this land, the Dena'ina and the Supiak people. And we'd like to honor their deep connection to the landscape, the seascape, and the salmon and the people and emulate that in our own relationships moving forward. We hope you enjoy the fish, fun, and music of this hour of Salmon Fest Radio. We work hard to tie everything together in a smooth and groovy way.
2: Yeah, and I look forward to rocking and rolling, so let's get going.
3: This is our fourth installment of Salmon Fest Radio. By now, you probably know what's coming. We've got a Salmon Champion feature where we're going to hear from Rachel James, a longtime organizer who has her fingers in all sorts of pots related to the fight against Pebble Mine.
2: Who do we have up this week, Satchel? Who's gonna who's gonna rock the house?
3: Yeah, our band feature for this episode is the California Honey Drops. Alaskans love this band. They've been coming up to Alaska for at least like four years now, and that just they just rock the state every time they're here. People get stoked, the lines are long, you have to get your tickets fast.
2: Every time I get to introduce this band, I remind our audience that during their I think their maiden voyage down the Seward Highway to get to Nanilchik for their first Salmon Fest experience, they were trapped behind one of those long lines of cars after an auto accident. They jumped out of their car, set up, and they played a whole set for the people that were stranded along the road. And they have endeared themselves to me and so many Salmon Fest fans ever since. You know they sound great alongside the road and they sound even better on the stage at Salmon Fest. Let's go back to 2019 and reacquaint ourselves with the California oh, Honey move Drops. Your and
4: clap your hands. I oh, move your body. And clap your hands. So oh, remove your body. And clap your hands. I said oh, move hands. I said, oh, move your body. And clap your hands. That's a oh, move your body. And clap your hands and I oh, move your body. And clap your hands. I yes, just their quarrels and trying to live as brothers and trying to find the peace within without stepping on one another and due respect for the women of the world just remember we (laughs) We can't get. We can't. We can't. We can't you we can't get. Yes, <laughs> we can't. We can't get. can't We can't. We can't get. we can't. We can't get. we can't get. we can't. We can't get. You We can't. get. we can't. can't get. If you want it, we can't get. We can't can't We can't. We can't get. Johnny and Leon, yeah. Tanner Madness. Yeah. And thanks for letting me sing a song oh for you all tonight. Give it, up, uh,
3: give it up for Alan Tucson writing
1: that song, y'all, the late, great Alan
3: Tucson out of New Orleans. Right it. after the California Honey Drops finished off that set, we were able to snag Lesh backstage and chat with him about Alaska, salmon, music, and why they do what they do.
5: Go ahead. Uh, so I'm Lesh Rosinski. I play with the California Honey Drops, and I live in Oakland, California, and I'm from Warsaw, Poland.
6: Nice. So, is this your first time in Alaska?
5: Nope. Shall we? <laughs> it's uh, number five, I think. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we love it here. We just keep coming back as much as we can.
6: Yeah. So, what do you love about Alaska?
5: Oh, What's not to love? I mean, the, 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 the nature is obviously the, the thing that kind of stands out immediately. But the people are kind of like the icing on the cake. That's the kind of what tops it all off and makes it like the most coolest place ever. Yeah, the vibes out here are just great. And all the little, we play in McCarthy when we come out. So we play in some little places and then we come down and do the fest too. And just, it's got the craziest, nicest people like, and the summer is just amazing. Like never gets dark and people are just wiling out. And it's just the perfect place to play. It's the perfect place for a band like us that likes to just play for the heck of playing. and we like to play for a long time. And we're not just trying to do the show and leave. You know what I mean? We're trying to hang. And so it's it's just taking us in, and we, we really like it here,
6: yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Alaska was really excited that you're back at Salmon Fest, um, where we're celebrating salmon and music. Do you fish at all?
5: Sure don't. <laughs> I, I fished a little bit when I was growing up, but I haven't fished in a long time.
6: Yeah. But you love to
5: eat salmon? I do love to eat salmon. <laughs> I'm a big fan of fish, yeah.
6: Salmon Fest is a unique festival. Yeah. Um, and we're wondering what makes Salmon Fest special to you?
5: Ooh, what makes it special? I mean, the people It's just, you know, I saw, what What was the best thing? I, I'll tell you what the best thing that happened to me this Salmon Fest was. Because it's too big a question. I can't wrap my head around it. But yesterday I saw Steve Poltz and that was my favorite thing that happened in Salmon Fest this year. I saw Steve Poltz, and first he was making me laugh like crazy, and then this guy next to me like offered me a hit off his vape pen, and then Steve Poltz played a sad song, and then I started crying. <laughs> but it was good, you know. It's like I needed it. And then everybody was singing together, and then I started crying again because it was so like touching. And everybody, it was just amazing. It's just the best place. And then the people dancing. People singing back. I love one of the great things about Salmon Fest is that people, people in general in Alaska, I don't feel like they they care that much about like, they want to have a good time. They don't care about like what's cool. You know, like, they, you know, we live in like the Bay Area. It's like, it's bad out there. This is like a good relief from all that, of all that kind of vibe where people are trying to show and be somebody, you know, and like here, everyone's just trying to hang and they're having, trying to have the best time they can with the time they got. And that's what we like to do. <laughs> so, you know, I just love coming here and playing. Like The last two shows we played here have been some of the most fun we have played all year. And that's no, you can ask anybody in the band. I'm not just saying that. You know what I mean? It's just a great feeling. And we need that. You know, we need as a band more and more plays short. You know, we go around the world. You play short sets at festivals and whatnot you know what I'm saying it's like it's great to just be able to stretch out and have a good time and we were able to do that here so we love it
6: that's awesome yeah. um, so you get to see a lot of the world touring I bet um, and it's 2019 and the climate crisis is, <laughs> it's is hitting real. us hard mm-hmm. wondering if you have any stories from on the road of some of the impacts that you've seen or heard about through chatting with people
5: oh it's like you can't you can't miss it out here especially because you could see it Everybody in, everybody in Alaska knows climate change is real. <laughs> you know, like, you can just see it. We go out to the glacier in Kennecott, and we've, in the last five years, you can see it ha- how much it's shrunk, you know? And, you know, we talk, we've we talked to the people that, you know, study the glacier there. They've told us all about it, you know? And uh, we've heard about the fish dying because the creeks are too warm, having a It's crazy. And, you know, like... It's obviously the most affected by on the extreme ends of the climate. You Really dry places, are drier places that are supposed to be really cold, like here, are not. You know, so yeah, it's real, and it's time to start doing something about
6: it. You know. Yeah. So, are there <laughs> any ways that you've, uh, you know, used your voice as a musician to to talk about that kind of stuff, or you No. Know, to...
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we tend to. Uh, Try to lead you know a little bit by, by example so we've tried to like uh, just totally eliminate like plastic wa- bottle water bottle use completely like from our shows so that's why we all got these and we just try to be as you know obviously it's hard to be uh not a hypocrite when it comes to this because as a traveling musician you're on a plane a lot yeah <laughs> and like <laughs> flying planes <laughs> is one of the worst things that you can do in terms of just emissions but you know we've we we encourage people to vote a lot you know and we'll just let their voices be heard because that's one of the big problems we have is people not showing up to to use the modes of influence that we do have yeah and a lot of people think that they're like too cool to do that so we've always been really encouraging people to to vote you know especially young people yeah. but i think young people are starting to vote a lot i think it's like my generation is probably the worst to be honest
6: get them out in terms of not
5: voting so we try to encourage people to get their voices heard little things here and there yeah
6: if you can get people to sing like that you, you sure can do can some other shit. you can for sure get people to vote yeah
5: you know especially it's coming up now it's coming up now but it's you know in general, like, I come from a country, you know, that's uh, where people are very politically involved because they were kind of denied any political say for such a long time. So the voter turnout in Poland is really big. But they're still voting for stupid people. <laughs> I'm hoping that in America, if we get everybody to vote. We'll get some good people in there that will try to, you know. But I think in general, we just all have to learn how to live with a little less. You know, like, everybody's got to get used to, like, maybe a different paradigm. So I've tried to do that a little bit, you know. But like I said, I still fly in planes. It's hard. It's tough. (laughs) It's
6: tough. It's tough. But um, even in this, like, mess of a world we're living in right now, what brings you hope?
5: What brings me hope? You know, what brings me hope is that I think most people um, are really actually on the same page. There's a lot of... Because we live in the internet age where the the loudest and most extreme voices of either end are really amplified. And I think it's... And it gives you maybe a... And that's scary. It makes it really scary. And, and like kind of the shit floats to the top. You know? People say the cream rises, but shit also floats. You know? And that's a problem that we're dealing with. Like, I think with, like, social media and the media in general. So we're getting... But I think most people want to do something about... About stuff and I think more just regular people need to like have their voices heard because there's a lot of people that are really extreme people want to have their voices heard more and it's time for people (laughs) that like kind of don't want to be in politics all the people that don't want to be in it need to be in it that's the thing like and all the people that want to be in it they should probably maybe not be in. (laughs) so you know I would encourage everybody to like just let their voices be heard a little bit because it's it's, it's easy to think that, I don't know, anyway I, so I, I really believe in the goodness of people and our, our older bandmates are saying the same thing you know. and I take a lot of cues from my elders nice. so. that's awesome.
6: <laughs> is there anything else you want to say to Salmon Fest Radio? Uh,
5: Salmon Fest Radio yeah, just thank you I love it here so much and I've had such a good time and yeah it's been the best it's like my favorite place
6: awesome thanks for doing that after yeah. Your long set. Really appreciate yeah you're it. welcome thank you yes.
2: you know in my spare time i'm a beekeeper and so i know honey when i see it and i know honey when i hear it and uh, it's you know great what? to have him here here's one more song from the california honey drops just bow, bow, bubble me up we
1: don't have any time left but i want to see
5: you just go a little crazier so i'm gonna stop doing stuff that makes you look at me And I'm just gonna ask you, we're gonna count to four, and at the count of four, I want you to lose all your bodily inhibitions, okay? And if you wanna know what that looks like, I'll demonstrate for you right now. It's gonna be like, one, two, three, four. understand what I'm saying if I can do it you can do it all right bubble me just you just you we're gonna build them up from the floor come on
1: on, are you ready to go crazy to go crazy we're all crazy you're from Alaska I know you're crazy We're all crazy. crazy. You gotta go crazy.
3: Grooving on over to our Salmon Champion, Rachel James.
2: Let's have Rachel introduce herself.
7: Thanks for the opportunity to talk about this amazing part of the state and for having me on your show. My name is Rachel James and I work for an organization called Salmon State, which is an Alaska-based group focused on ensuring that we continue to have thriving habitat for salmon all across our state. And that we continue to have opportunities for our people and our cultures to have salmon as part of our Alaskan way of life. So, I grew up born and raised out in the Matanuska Valley in an area kind of up the valley a bit called Sutton and Palmer. And I think that really my journey to this conservation work came from a lot of time deep out in the landscape and also growing up around people that really were not separate from the landscape. They were hunting and fishing and using their intrinsic knowledge of the place to sustain their families. So that was really what helped me understand there's there's a whole career path where you could intertwine appreciation for ecosystems, appreciation for people that rely on wild food sources with conservation work. And after going to school at the University of Montana, I came home and decided to just throw myself completely into this sort of work. And I think that working on Bristol Bay, which is something that started for me in about 2004, quite a long time ago, has been probably the most rewarding professional work I've had in my entire career. I was lucky enough to head out to Bristol Bay several times. So, you know, a lot of different experiences along the way have brought me to this point of being the Bristol Bay campaign coordinator for Salmon State. A threat to salmon is a threat to people. A lot of what motivates me to wake up every day and be part of this really broad and deep coalition of Alaskans that are opposed to Pebble and are saying no to Pebble, but are saying yes to something else, to intact wild places with people living in them and thriving, you know. So while I am part of the coalition that's fighting Pebble Mine, I also feel like I'm part of a group of Alaskans that are recognizing the, the cultural, the spiritual, the economic, and the socioeconomic importance of, of salmon and of wild places that sustain those salmon. And that's not to say that it's incompatible with humans. And that's what we're saying yes to. And that's what I find deep, really deep motivation. in. I mean, that's what gets me going every day.
3: Before we get any further into this interview, we really want to pump the brakes to prime you all with the context of what's been going on. The parent company of the Pebble Mine is Northern Dynasty Minerals. They're a company that knows how to navigate the permitting system and get permits for mining projects, after which their intention would be to sell to a mining company that is actually capable of implementing their plan.
2: And as some folks might remember, Northern Dynasty has joined with four other major mining companies through the history of this project and all four of those mining companies walked away
3: now northern dynasty is standing on its own through the permitting system
2: here's a quick reader's digest summary of the key details over the last year with the pebble project in july 2020 the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers released the final environmental impact statement and set the stage for a decision by the Trump administration whether to permit, deny, or forestall the pebble mine. But in August, things began to change.
3: A lot of significant voices started coming out of the woodwork to oppose the pebble mine.
2: A remarkably diverse group of individuals and groups, everyone from uh, Donald Trump Jr. to Jane Fonda to the host of Fox News, uh, all came out and and, uh, said this is a bad idea and the project ought to be stopped.
3: And then things got a little worse for Pebble. In the fall of 2020, A series of tapes were released by an environmental agency who had gone undercover and posed as investors and recorded the CEOs of the Pebble Limited Partnership and Northern Dynasty bragging about their cozy relationships with players up and down this permitting system, including the Alaska delegation, Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan and our own Alaskan governor, Mike Dunleavy. The other thing that became really clear in these pebble tapes is that Pebble Mine is not planning the mine that they have outlined in their permit application. That's a 20-year mine with a relatively small footprint. These tapes exposed what I think a lot of people suspected all along, that Pebble Mine is planning to build an 100-year mine with a significantly larger footprint.
2: That's the thing that never made sense to me in their proposal why a mining company would develop only 10 or 15% of the value of their claim and then retiring the mine. So that discrepancy between what Pebble was planning and Pebble was saying became clear during these tapes. Well, let's let Rachel tell us the biggest news of 2020.
7: Just before Thanksgiving in 2020, on November 25th, the Army Corps came out with an announcement that was pretty surprising to many people across the country. They announced that they were going to deny the Clean Water Act 404 permit for the pebble mine. We collectively believe that, you know, sometimes a project is so bad that the politics fall away and the right decision is made and I think that this is a great example of that. That Leading up to November 25th there were a lot of political gesturing and posturing and it wasn't clear to us if the decision makers involved in this permit process were actually listening to the science or listening to money and influence and lobbyists. So really the jury was out and when that permit was denied i think that it was a rare moment when when the right decision was made by the army corps i really need to emphasize in the same breath as i say that that this decision did not end the pebble mine saga we lay bare and exposed for this company to come back and apply for another permit and so even though the agency made a decision to deny the permit without EPA action to actually veto and put into place some form of permanent protection. This watershed, this incredible ecosystem, this last remaining stock of wild salmon and the people that rely on it are completely exposed, as exposed as they were before.
3: You know, Rachel's right. This permit denial is so exciting and such a great win for the people of Bristol Bay. However, we know that the Pebble Limited Partnership is not about to walk away. They've already appealed the decision to the Army Corps of Engineers. And unlike our Alaska delegation, Lisa Murkowski and Don Sullivan, who have throughout this process been more and more aligning themselves with Alaskans who oppose Pebble Mine, our governor has been doubling down in his support of the Pebble Limited Partnership.
2: And in fact, the state has appealed the Corps of Engineer decision to permit the mine.
3: Later in the interview, Rachel will talk about the specific mechanisms that could actually provide permanent protection for Bristol Bay. But right now she's going to talk a little bit about why mining in Bristol Bay is so incompatible with the culture, economy and environment that makes up the region.
7: The area is so unique know that that's cliche to say, but you know, the the fact that you look at our globe and you think about the various intact ecosystems and what I mean by that is just big wild landscapes that can sustain massive amounts of wildlife, of food, of clean air, there just aren't that many left. And you look at this corner of Alaska and it is literally pulsing with fish. I mean, we're talking to the tune of 60 million fish in and out of these streams, record-breaking numbers, and you think about all the millions of people that are actually relying on those fish for food, for jobs, for a way of life, I mean. In terms of the commercial fishing sector, we're looking at 14,000 jobs annually It's an incredible amount of people that actually flock to the bay every single year and have their entire livelihood built around the coming and going of the salmon. Also, if you you zoom out Bristol Bay, the mouth of Bristol Bay, of the watershed itself, and you think about all of the Alaska Native communities that are sprinkled up and down the river systems that supply fresh water to Bristol Bay, That's 31 tribes, 31 different communities um, that rely on the fish, not just for sustenance and food, but their cultural sense of well-being, spiritual well-being as well. And I say millions of people because there are many people in this state and the country and world that value remaining intact ecosystems, even if they never set foot there. So it is a really important, thriving thing. We have a chance to do it right here. And as we watch different cultures in our own country struggle, their relationship with wild food sources and salmon, we really need to make sure that we appreciate and defend what we have. And the thing is, this watershed is pretty unique hydrologically. And when you go to the pebble mine site or anywhere in that area, just north of Lake Iliamna, you'll find a pretty unusual situation. There's water everywhere. There is water flowing obviously downhill with gravity. There's water upwelling from other streams into other watersheds, even though they're geographically higher. It's very unusual. There is just water everywhere. And the area around it, um, it looks completely smooth, almost like a golf course, which is why it's named Pebble originally. And if you were to kind of have x-ray vision and go below that and look at the rock underneath the smooth tundra, you would find a pretty specific kind of rock that's, that's unique. And the big danger in removing that rock and trying to extract the ore from that kind of rock is that when it's exposed to air, it actually creates sulfuric acid. But just the removal and exposure of that rock to air is, is an act that creates toxicity. And so the actual management of that toxic rock with sulfuric acid is the big challenge here with this kind of mining. So there would need to be uh, a great deal of manipulation of the toxic ore. And that's one of the big concerns that everyone has about doing that at the headwaters of these incredibly vibrant, productive streams so when you hear people that care about this region say wrong mine, wrong place that's what they're talking about they're talking about the absolute incompatibility of this kind of mining in this watershed with these resources at stake to treat the waste from this sort of mining with this sort of rock in this very wet place you'll have to treat that water for perpetuity which means forever when you treat something toxic forever, the chances of structural failure or a mistake or some sort of shortcut that results in sloppiness mean you're guaranteed some form of toxicity getting in the environment. And that's really at the root of why most people, majority of Alaskans, have always been and will continue to fight a mine in this watershed. That's why we need permanent protection for this really unique place in the world and so that this call for permanent protection is through two steps. The first step being EPA must immediately veto the pebble mine, and step two being Congress must act to establish the Bristol Bay National Fisheries Area. The call to protect Bristol Bay is coming from the United Tribes of Bristol Bay, which represent 15 federally recognized tribes. Bristol Bay Native Association, which represents 31 tribes as well as the Bristol Bay Economic Development Council. And for those entities to come out front and to clearly articulate a strong unified vision for protection for Bristol Bay is just astounding. It's so exciting to be part of and to support. And really what those entities are doing is they are asking for folks and individuals and entities and companies to sign on and stand behind them and stand with them in this call to protect Bristol Bay.
2: Satchel, Rachel's talked about a couple different ways that Bristol Bay could be protected permanently. How how would that work?
3: Yeah, Rachel does a really good job of breaking these two actions down. I'll let her go into it.
7: The most time-sensitive and urgent ask is this request that the EPA use Section 404C of the Clean Water Act to veto the pebble mine. There's really no other lever that can be pulled or path forward that can create an immediate safety net, durable, hard stop for those people that depend on Bristol Bay that will actually prohibit future hard rock mining of that scale in the watershed. So the 404 veto is really the only thing that's gonna prevent pebble mine from applying to mine again. If we don't encourage the EPA to take this step, we're going to be dealing with Pebble 2, Pebble 3, Pebble 4, on and on and on and wasting time, resources, and money fighting more Pebble mines or companies. The difference between the two parts to the solution is that the EPA veto is an administrative action. It's, it's hard and fast, and the scope of the prohibitions that will be put in place by the EPA will then determine what kind of legislation will be needed to, to protect the watershed. So they, they really complement each other, but really the first step to ensure that we're not going to continue battling future applications is to issue the 404C veto, and then stakeholders will work together to envision what kind of legislation is critical at this time. So it's really important to know that the local stakeholders, the people that have the most to lose, have actually been putting pen to paper and just crafting out what elements would be really important to include in the second step of the call for Bristol Bay, which is permanent protection through legislation. The vision that that the local people are putting forward, specifically with the establishment of the Bristol Bay National Fisheries Area, is really specific to the water so this isn't like a new national park this is not a big area off limits it's actually just focused on the waters of the united states located within bristol bay Um, and the idea here that was put forward by the local people is that this area is subject to heightened permitting standards And so it talks about some specific geographic limitations of anyone applying for hard rock mining in the Bristol Bay watershed. It delineates in the vision here, what is and isn't permissible. So the concept here is that this sort of legislation would ban toxic mine waste from the Bristol Bay watershed from large scale projects like the proposed Pebble Mine. So when you think about how this will translate if it were to be pushed forward by a member of congress and passed as is a person living within this fisheries area you would be assured that your water's clean that you can continue to literally drink out of the stream that the fish that you catch and you eat and you feed to your pregnant wife or your little kid just learning how to eat food for the first time or you send to your elders that food source is pure and will not be contaminated by a toxic mine. This doesn't mean that there's going to be a new limitation on movement within Bristol Bay or the commercial resource or, you know, new limitations on how you hunt or fish. This is simply very specific and narrow to mining and the method of mining, the way metal is recovered. And I think it accomplishes the concept of permit protection in a very effective, clear way. I think it's just really powerful to know that this is a concept. It will evolve depending on what leadership takes it, but that really the the idea is led by the local people that do have the most at stake. So if you're out there and you really wanna take action and help support the vision here, I would suggest going to Stop Pebble Mine Now and checking out some of the resources there and navigating to take action and also going to the United Tribes of Bristol Bay website is another great resource. And you can also navigate to there, stand with us, take action, sight, and you can actually be part of the solution and the call to action here.
2: You know, Satchel, it seems like our culture is developing a shorter and shorter attention span, but there's a need to think a little longer term and think back in our history to reflect on things that have changed the state and how we should be looking forward in Alaska to protecting the places that we love and That we need
3: Yeah, I mean, I agree I just think it's so important that our decisions are based on The idea that we need to sustain ourselves for The next millennium Like, whether this is a 20-year mine plan or a 100-year mine plan It's not going to sustain all future generations But if we do this right in Bristol Bay Salmon can be a part of our diets Our economies and our cultures Forever, for as long as people are living in relationship to this land or for as long as people are here. And this is how Rachel sort of chose to end our conversation is grounding us in sort of that idea.
7: You know, I think a lot of people that live in Alaska now have recently moved here. I think the statistic is that the average Anchorage resident has been here for five years. And so we don't really have a collective institutional knowledge of some of the big events that happened in our state. I think, looking back now, a lot of why I do what I do is the Exxon Valdez oil spill. So I was nine, I was actually the age that my son is now, and my dad, who had worked for years on the North Slope, surveying for the oil companies, you know, getting helicoptered out and, and surveying where different facilities and roads are going, he worked all over the state. And when the oil spill happened in Valdez, he went and helped with the cleanup and observing him doing that, observing his reaction to it and really like viscerally understanding how fragile and interconnected things are in terms of our need for oil, our <laughs> creation of you know all this infrastructure and the fragility of this huge ecosystem really impacted me at that age, at my son's age. That he is now and I remember you know like news anchors on TV crying and I remember my parents crying and I just remember really understanding for the first time ever that that things can kind of fall down around us in that way and I was very attentive over the years to watch what would happen to that environment everything from the, the smallest fish to the megafauna in um, Prince William Sound all the way down to Kodiak as we know has been impacted So I think that really turned things in me and I realized that we need people in our state and within different sectors of our economy and our social infrastructure that have that awareness of interconnectedness and that desire to do things right and that are willing to work in the gray areas and have some hard conversations. The path forward for our state is not an easy one. We're going to have to make some hard decisions. We're going to have to explore conversations that I couldn't have even imagined as a young person growing up here. And you know, I think a lot about my son, obviously most parents do. He wants to be a fisherman when he grows up and he's half Chilean, he was raised on farmed salmon early on um, down in Patagonia and now is eaten wild Alaska salmon luckily. Yeah, I just think about what kind of state he'll have, what what are we going to leave for our kids? Are they going to experience an Exxon Valdez? Are they going to be part of a thriving, diverse, creative economy up here. I mean, there's pretty big picture questions that I want to continue to be part of the next, however long I live up here and however long I stay alive. I think there's so much work to be done and it's a really exciting time for our state.
2: Thank you to Rachel James for spending time with us and also for her decades of work helping preserve and protect the place that we all care about.
3: Transitioning now into our jamming for Salmon set. What
2: would Salmon Fest be without Steve Pultz? He makes you laugh, he makes you cry, he's always entertaining.
3: And sometimes he makes you a little uncomfortable.
0: I want all my friends to be happy I want all my friends to find love I want all my friends to share good things And be blessed by the light above. I want all my friends to be hopeful. I want all my friends to be hopeful. Not to be slaves to a bank. Not to be slaves to a bank. I hope that my friends never have to. I hope that my friends never have to roll through the streets in a tank. Roll through the streets in a tank. I want all my friends to have kitchens. I want all my friends to have kitchens stocked up with bountiful food. Stocked up with bountiful food. I hope they wake with a smile. I hope they wake with a smile. And say words like, let's all go to the Nelchuk for seven pass, come on, dude. And say words like, God, you guys are smart. I want all my friends to know laughter. Uncontrollable from deep in the gut. Uncontrollable from deep in the gut. I want all my friends to have fine shoes. I want all my and to pat someone cute on the butt. And to pat someone cute on the butt with their permission. I want all my friends to go travel
8: oh, she's like that way. and
0: to see the world for just what it is to see the world for just what it is. A beautiful place to inhabit. A beautiful place to inhabit. It's a big melting pot made of moose gut juice. Big melting pot made of moose gut juice. (laughs) I want all my friends to dance naked my friends to dance naked. So my mom says there's a difference between naked and naked. Naked when you're naked and naked's when you're naked and up to no good. I want all my friends to dance naked so that all of their neighbors can see. So that all of their neighbors can see. I want them all to be colorblind. To keep those tiki torch waving skinhead racists far away from me. To keep those tiki torch waving skinhead racists far away from me. I want all my straight friends to love. Let's try this. I want all my straight friends to love all of the gay friends I have. All of the. Oh, gay friends I have. I'd love it if we all went to dinner. I'd love it if we all went to dinner. Or maybe for some soup at Two Sisters or something like that. That soup was so good today, Lord. Oh yeah, I'd love it if we all went to dinner because my gay friends always pick up the tab. Because my gay friends always pick up the tab. I want all my friends to be healthy. when they see kale, not just to scoff. When they see kale, not just to scoff. I'm talking about J.J. Kale too. I want him to live long and prosper. And to tell cancer to just go, duck off. And to tell cancer to just go,
3: The next song is by Kufnats and Christina Lise. He's a rapper and she's a harpist. And when those worlds collide, you get a listening experience we don't often hear at Salmon Fest, but it really takes you away. I hope you enjoy.
9: Let your light shine.
2: As we wrap the show today, let's exit with our friends Wookie Foot, headliners on the main stage at Salmon Fest 2019.
6: Light of sun in the
0: sky sends the message be fearless and pray.
1: till I know it is all together we can have it oh yeah Be fearless and play Be fearless and play My friends, you can live for tomorrow and still live here in today Be fearless and play Be fearless and play This is one thing no one could ever take away Be fearless
3: just so thankful for everybody who makes producing this podcast possible and of course to all of our listeners. But specifically we want to thank and Fest for throwing the show that makes us inspired to make this podcast.
2: And Cook Inlet Keeper from whose hallowed halls we're recording this today.
3: KBBI who is our public radio consultant and audio Experts that we lean into and we don't know what we're doing.
2: And of course, our musical guest today, the California Honey Drops. And our interview with their lead singer and trumpet player, Lesh.
3: And Ali Rosenbluth for conducting that fine interview. Our Salmon Champion, Rachel James.
2: Our buddies, Pastor Tim and...
3: Brian Belay, who recorded the music from Salmon Fest 2019.
2: And of course, Kira Hardy, our producer editor, and chief organizer. Well, that's it for tonight. So before we go, don't forget, Spawn
5: on, Alaska! This is Lesh from the California Honey Drops, and you're listening to Salmon Fest Radio! That was not a radio voice.